1: Tonight on The Readout.
0: Let's describe to our viewers what we're seeing.
2: The skies over Baghdad have been illuminated. We're seeing bright flashes going off all over the sky.
1: CNN, which once defined cable news, is now under fire after this week's Trump debacle. Under its new ownership, it's now just one more outlet for the libertarian billionaire point of view. Also tonight, the Unserious Caucus. Jim Jordan continues to carry Trump's water, pursuing a pointless investigation of Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg. As James Comer more or less admits he's got nothing on the Bidens, but he's gonna keep pretending that he does anyway. And we begin with the continued cleanup on aisle five at CNN in the wake of widespread criticism over its decision to air a town hall with the twice impeached, civilly liable for sexual abuse, former President Donald Trump on Wednesday night that played out more like a pep rally or a MAGA version of the Jerry Springer show. On Thursday, CNN CEO Chris Licht mounted a defense of the town hall during the network's morning editorial call, insisting the spectacle served the public well, despite the widespread condemnation, even from CNN's own media reporter. I am aware that there has been uh, people with opinions uh, slash backlash, and that is absolutely uh, expected. And I will say this
0: as clearly as I possibly can. Uh, You do not have to like uh, the former president's uh, answers, but you can't say that we didn't get them. Um, Caitlin pressed them again and again and made news, made a lot of news. While we all may have been uncomfortable hearing people clapping, that was also an important part of the story, because the people in that audience represent a large swath of America.
1: And the mistake uh, the media made made, in the past, is ignoring that those people exist. That tape was obtained by FTV Live, a media website. And I should note that we have not obtained the audio recording ourselves, but it matches the multiple media reports that we had yesterday. Hours after that call, CNN anchor Anderson Cooper essentially repeated his boss's argument on his show, scolding his own viewers in what even some former CNN anchors, like Sonny Hostin, described as gaslighting.
0: That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. Now, maybe you haven't been paying attention to him since he left office. Maybe you've been enjoying not hearing from him, thinking it can't happen again, some investigation is going to stop him. Well, it hasn't so far. So if last night showed anything, it showed it can happen again.
1: Now, that is what you call a straw man argument, especially that the the only two options available to you are listening to a former president mock a woman a jury found that he sexually abused while the audience laughs and applauds or pretending 74 million Americans who voted for Trump don't exist. But that has become a familiar tune, mainly from billionaire libertarians like Elon Musk and billionaire media moguls like Fox's Rupert Murdoch, that free speech doesn't just mean what the First Amendment says it means, that the government cannot restrict or require certain speech, but rather that unless you are willing to subject yourself personally, To the farthest right, most virulently racist, misogynistic, and offensive viewpoints, just fill your psyche with it, online, in the university lecture hall, or on CNN, you're against free speech. Ditto John Malone, the billionaire investor who owns large chunks of Warner Brothers Discovery, which is CNN's parent company. He made his fortune buying up media companies. Al Gore, yes, the former vice president, called him Darth Vader from the Senate floor as he gobbled up small media companies. He's very close with the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslov. He's also an unabashed conservative-slash-libertarian and a large donor to Donald Trump's 2017 inaugural committee. In November 2021, as he was acquiring CNN, he told CNBC exactly what he would like to see for the cable news network that Ted Turner started.
0: I would like to see CNN evolve Back to the kind of journalism that it started with and, uh, you know, actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. Fox News, I think, in my opinion, uh, has followed a, a, uh, an interesting trajectory of trying to have news news. I mean, some actual journalism embedded in, in a program schedule of all opinions.
1: Ah, Dominion would like to have a word. I mean, this right-wing libertarian viewpoint that the rest of us must subject ourselves to verbal abuse by the nastiest, cruelest, most hideous voices in this country, Donald Trump included, has become the backbone of MAGA. Free speech to them means that the fascist far-right has a God-given right to make you listen to them on Twitter or on the new cable Twitter, whether you want to or not. And if you turn away or you walk away or complain, there's something wrong with you. But here's the thing. It is, in fact, possible to know about the views of the far right, to understand that those views exist and are held by millions and millions of your fellow Americans, even by a third or maybe even half of American adults, without having to subject yourself to them. We didn't need a Trump pep rally on CNN to understand what Trump is. He literally posts his garbage views on his fake Twitter every day, and every media outlet reports on it. He has rallies where he dishes out his gross insults with cameras watching, We get it. A lot of people like it and vote for it. But we don't need CNN or John Malone or Elon Musk or Anderson Cooper to lecture us about how we should be forced to endure it or that we should just get used to it. Because some of us actually know that that stuff is wrong and that American politics and American democracy deserve better. Joining me now is Jelani Cobb, Dean of the Columbia Journalism School, and a staff writer at The New Yorker, and Angelo Carasoni, president of Media Matters. And I just want the two of you to ruminate for a moment on John Malone saying that he thinks that real news is Fox, right? So he starts from the viewpoint that the center is Fox, the the one's dominion. Uh, just sued and got seven hundred and eighty seven million dollars for because they literally made up an entire news um, sort of a cycle that they didn't even believe. So let's go to this for just a second. I want to mm-hmm. start with you, Jelani, because this is the challenge. Right. When people are resetting what the center is and saying Fox is it. John Malone in 2017 told the Financial Times, Rupert Murdoch is sort of like I am. He's a libertarian, but he thinks we should have a strong military and the U.S. needs Fox News or something like it because otherwise everything else is leftist. He donated a quarter of a million dollars to Trump's inaugural fund. He contributed to Trump's Save America PAC. He told CNBC in 2019, quote, I think a lot of the things Trump has tried to do, identifying problems and trying to solve them has been great. I just don't think he's the right guy to do it. He once tried to recruit Rush Limbaugh, to be a host on Fox, and he's a former member of the Libertarian Cato Institute. When I put all that together, when he says the center and what is real journalism is Fox, you as a journalism professor and dean of Columbia Law School, how does that hit you?
3: Yeah, I think that's very difficult to um, to reconcile. And you know, the fact of it is that you know we saw the backlash that the Fox News reporter um, confronted. You know, for reporting that Joe Biden had won the election uh, and that, you know, this is actually reporting the truth, (laughs) the factual, accurate truth uh, that culminated in backlashes. We've seen uh, all the language that came out of Fox News' own anchors' mouths and in their text messages about how they viewed the information that they were putting on the air not to be factual or accurate. And so, uh, you know, the that's deeply. I think that's an indefensible statement. Uh, but more fundamentally, the, you know, the problem is that when people say they want to get back to having, you know, journalists, CNN—the thing that made CNN the most respected uh, name that they had—it you know, was the fact that they had journalists around the world covering news. Uh, at great risk to themselves, you know. I'm. I know. I'm on MSNBC. I will say that mm-hmm. CNN did commendable work in Ukraine. Amazing I work agree. in Ukraine. And so, what are you calling those people? What are you calling the <laughs> CNN reporters who've been killed or been been injured in in the line of work? What exactly is your standard for calling someone a journalist? I, I just don't think that that statement is is at all uh, accurate or defensible.
1: Well, I mean, the, the other piece of it is, to stay with you for just a minute, Jelani, you have Oliver Darcy, who is a journalist they employ, who is their media person, since they booted Brian Stelter. They didn't—they thought he was too left somehow. Oliver Darcy comes out and does something that you would think would be admiss- allowable inside a news network that doesn't have an agenda. He criticized the platform that was provided to Trump in the way it was provided. He's now been called in to a meeting with Chris Licht and essentially told, not 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 good, um, too emotional. Your coverage was too emotional. You need to be, you know, less emotional. All right. And you got talked down from it. We also found out from somebody who was in the room, and this was a post on Semaphore, Jelani, that the, the audience in that town hall was not told, you know, react however you feel. They were told they could cheer, but they couldn't boo. So they could cheer, but they couldn't boo. So what then happens is it creates the atmospheric that everyone in there was loving on Trump. But there's a video I want to see if we have it and we can put up. Some of the crowd weren't cheering. Even I represented it as a whole crowd full of goons that were cheering when, you know, people were insulting, um, you know, the E.G. and Carroll. Look at that. You have men in the back hooting, hoo, 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 hollering, loving Trump, and a bunch of people sitting in front, sitting there quiet. And they weren't allowed to boo. How is that journalism?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially teeing up, you know, the, the, the uh, home run pitch, you know, for a particular candidate um, and, and, and creating a friendly audience. And so I think you also have to take issue with the way that this has been framed to the point that you made in your intro, uh, that there is a false dichotomy here, as if uh, the only alternative that you have uh, is to do this, uh, is to either stick your head in the sand Uh, or give this person such a favorable platform that people uh, afterward thought it was indistinguishable from a rally. Uh, They didn't have to air it live. Uh, They didn't have to air it with an audience at all. They could have interjected, uh, you know, fact checks uh, in the midst of it when they did air it. There's a whole array of, uh, especially for a person who has weaponized dishonesty in the way that, uh, that he has. And lastly, I'll say that the most egregious element of this is the fact that this is a person who has uh, attempted to overturn the government of the United States. If there is any claim to say that this person should not be treated like a regular political candidate, it is that um, fundamentally, if you were saying that you were in the business of upholding democracy, which is what the argument that Anderson Cooper made seems to be, then that should be the beginning place, not scolding your viewers, uh, and that's assuming That unless they watched Donald Trump on your network, they weren't going to watch him anywhere else or that they were wholly (laughs) unfamiliar, unfamiliar with his appeal to his electorate.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to bring you in, Angelo, because look, uh, you know, there have been plenty. There's been plenty of coverage. We cover Trump. I don't particularly enjoy it, but we cover Donald Trump on this show. This network covers him. Lester Holt has interviewed him. Um, he's had plenty of interviews, right? Jonathan Swan's very famous interview with him. So it's not as if there is this dichotomy. You're ignoring 74 million people if you don't let him rant, rave, and act like he's at a Trump rally. It's a crazy dichotomy. But I would love to let you in on this because it does seem like that is kind of a standard for these sort of billionaire um, libertarians, whether you're talking about Elon Musk or you're talking about, you know, um, Peter Thiel, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos. They all seem to have this same attitude. You must subject yourself to the nastiest crap out there or else you're not for free speech.
4: Yeah, I mean, a lot of times they say, which is unfortunate because they have so much influence, but they sound like a high school kid that just read Ayn Rand for the first time, you know, no. and it's really frustrating because and that, that's part of the challenge here is that they you know one of the effects of this massive right wing echo chamber is that it really does distort so much of the conversation, the lens, our understanding of where the center is. Um, and worse, in a way, it advocates this idea that free speech and defending free speech, which is a value that all Americans feel passionately about, or many Americans, um, that, that somehow that's one and the same with this paradox of tolerance, which is that it doesn't matter how extreme, how ridiculous, how terrible, how violent, if you're not willing to, as you know, subject yourself to it or as even go one step further, facilitate and enable it. Because they're not just saying you had to watch this. They're saying CNN had, a, had an obligation to create this essential, this forum that will have, give Trump every advantage, including stacking the audience, putting 15 of his own people in there to sort of function as lead steers, to know when to clap. I mean, and that paradox of intolerance, and this is what's so scary about it, especially in this moment, is that it fundamentally and it, it inherently advantages the most extreme people because it constantly gives them a place and a seat at the table, power and influence that they don't deserve and that they shouldn't have. It forces us to help prop up the very thing that will destroy and tear us down. And so I think the criticism of CNN is really valid right now because of the, as you noted, Trump's attempts to overturn the election, all these other factors. This is really serious. Um, and their participation yeah. in that and their sort of conflation of free speech with sort of enabling this um, is is is. Dangerous deflection.
1: And let me ask you this question, Angelo. because you spent a long time fighting this on Fox, which we know what Fox is. It is a right-wing news network, and they aren't really shy about being that. Is it more dangerous when an outlet that purports to be centrist does it and stacks the game this way for Trump? Even the panels afterwards were stacked with Trump supporters, Trump fans from Congress, and they seem to have tried to create the most accommodating possible um, platform for him, essentially make him feel at home rather than make him feel like he was meeting the press. Is that more dangerous when CNN does it than when Fox does it?
4: Absolutely. It's like it's it's a laundering operation. It's a laundering of, of a narrative. It's a laundering of, of of misinformation. And it has persuasive power. People have antibodies uh, the, for how they deal with Fox News. And more importantly, the news media does. So if a Fox News audience claps, people know how to interpret that and say, well, of course, that's Fox's audience. But, when, but the residual of this is that there's going to be... Clips of CNN's audience clapping. And most people think about politics for four minutes a week. So when eventually that clip gets circulated around down the road and people are applauding, people are going to look at that and say, geez, that's where everybody is. huh? Hmm, Maybe I'm out of step. Maybe I'm going to be maybe I'm going to internalize misinformation the way Malone does and think I'm out of step. So it launders a false narrative and actually helps prop it up and build it precisely because they have persuasive power.
1: When, when these right-wing libertarians, who, by the way, have a financial interest in having a conservative government that will cut their taxes and deregulate them, try to redefine the center, and then as Angelo and where we're talking about, when they launder that through something like CNN, pay attention to the outcomes of that. Jelani Cobb, Angelo Carasoni, thank you both very much. Up next on The Readout. House Republicans' attempts to pass themselves off as serious politicians have been very entertaining to watch, if only their antics didn't pull such a serious threat to democracy. The readout continues after this.
0: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
5: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there.
0: Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.
6: Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org/future. That's plannedparenthood.org/future.
1: It's been 4 months since Republicans took control of the House with barely a majority. And so far their focus has not been on anything benefiting the American people or even their own base. Instead, their focus has almost exclusively been on the twice impeached first former president to be indicted and the first to be found liable for sexual misconduct. Donald Trump. The latest example, Trump's congressional lackey, Jim Jordan, today using the House Judiciary Committee to hold a theatrical deposition with Mark Pomerantz, a former prosecutor who once oversaw Manhattan's years long investigation of Trump. As part of Jordan's ongoing attack on Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg, who brought the case over Trump's role in the Stormy Daniels hush money payment that resulted in 34 criminal charges against the reality show star turned politician. Remember last month, Jordan held a committee hearing in Bragg's backyard, attacking Bragg's record on crime in New York City, even though the homicide rate was substantially higher in Jordan's backyard of Cleveland, Ohio. All of that comes as Republicans on the House Oversight Committee, led by James Comer, have worked tirelessly to push the false assertion that the true crime family syndicate in today's politics is the Bidens. Except, as they stated earlier this week at what was supposed to be a bombshell news conference, they've been unable to come up with any actual receipts. The New York Times writes, the Republicans conceded that they have yet to find evidence of a specific corrupt action Mr. Biden took in office in connection with any of the business deals his son entered into. Instead, their presentation underscored how little headway top Republican lawmakers have made in finding clear evidence of questionable transactions they can tie to Mr. Biden, their chief political rival. Joining me now is Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania. And Congresswoman, uh, you know, today, Daryl Issa said this of Mark Pomerantz's inability to give him any dirt.
0: He has answered no questions. He has asserted on behalf of uh, the D.A.'s office and himself what I would characterize as taking the fifth, effectively taking the fifth every single time. I've never had a more obstructive and less cooperative witness in my over 20 years in Congress.
1: And he's a he's a veteran uh, of doing these hatchet job hearings, never had a more uncooperative witness. Your thoughts?
5: Oh my why doesn't he look back at the <laughs> deposition of Donald Trump how many hundreds of times did he say uh, I take the fifth uh, and many of his comrades you know what i have here i'm a member of judiciary committee i have here the statement of mr pomerantz which is public record uh, that uh, went before uh, the questions that are now not public record yet and he writes uh, he introduces himself by saying i am here because i respect the rule of law i am here Present as required. What I do not respect is the use of the committee's subpoena power to compel me to participate in an act of political theater. That's exactly what it was. You know that, Joy. You have seen, sadly, uh, this Judiciary Committee under the lead of uh, Chairman Jordan. It's just been political circus and theater. And Mr. Jordan himself is struggling to try to find some nucleus to this theater. Uh, Mr. Pomerantz did very important work uh, with uh, the district attorney. Uh, He had every right to claim uh, any kind of privilege uh, in terms of protecting that which is under investigation. It would be improper now that the man is indicted uh, for him to come forward and testify in other ways.
1: Well, uh, now the the right wing nation turns its lonely eyes to uh, Congressman James Comer, who they thought was going to really bring down the Bidens. Here he is unable to answer repeated questions, asking for evidence, just evidence implicating President Biden in some sort of crime.
5: Have you found anything illegal while he was actually in office?
2: Well, we found a lot that's certainly unethical. We found a lot that should be illegal. Are you
5: standing by witness witness intimidation? Uh, The witnesses and the whistleblowers are being
1: intimidated by the president's son's lawyers. You stand by that and you say you have evidence of
4: that?
2: It depends on your definition of intimidation. But you've got to be able to prove they broke laws. Can you do that? Right. Well, as you know, my job is to investigate and present the facts. We're presenting facts that's never been presented before. There's no evidence that
5: Joe Biden did anything illegally.
2: Well, if you look at the the laptop and the emails between the president's son and his associates, they went to great lengths to hide Joe's involvement. And we're still looking uh, for more bank records that uh, we believe will implicate Joe Biden's active participation in this at the end of the day.
1: You know, Congresswoman, this feels like the endless hunting of Hillary Clinton to me. And that got nowhere oh, as yes. well. Is
5: it- yeah, it's a search. Uh, do you remember what these folks ran on? when we all ran for re-election or for election this last Congress, they were going to focus on the American people. Inflation, the economy. Instead, they're in these witch hunts that are absurd. And what your viewers may or may not know is that Comer and Jordan are in their own intra-mural (laughs) squabble. Who can get the headline? Obviously, Comer didn't get any headline. Jordan's not getting any headlines. Uh, They're going nowhere. And that's exactly what's going on. I want to contrast that with, with what Democrats are doing. Democrats are calling on the Republicans now in this slim majority, do something about that, which my constituents are furious about. Do something about gun violence as we see slaughter after slaughter after slaughter. And I called Mr. Jordan out on this in a markup this week, a markup that was allegedly around uh, lifting police officers around police week, resolution after resolution saying nice things about police. How about funding the police? How about not calling for the de- defunding of FBI, Matt Gates calling for uh, the tearing down and dismantling of ATF, which police departments depend upon. This is a, a real sad circus and very uh, damaging to the American people. And we haven't even talked about, uh, for example, the debt ceiling crisis, a faux crisis that is so dangerous, so irresponsible uh, that I'm... I'm really surprised that anyone on the other side of the aisle would risk that. But when you're under the leadership of someone who is so weak, uh, that maybe you would risk that.
1: You know, the other thing is that, you know, there hasn't been... um Let me show you. Let me show you a a still. This is actually a still from the CNN Trump Town Hall um, that shows the kind of dual reactions of New Hampshire Republicans and Republican leading independents, men cheering and women just staring straight ahead. And this actually, I believe, was at the point in the debate where Donald Trump was saying he owed um, Mike Pence no apologies for trying to get him killed, that Mike Pence should have overturned the election. It seems to me that it's hard to tell whether it is the base that leads the, 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 you know, the Trumpist or the Trumpist in the Republican caucus who lead the base. What do you make of it that we now do have a mainstream, what people think of as regular news outlet, laundering Trumpism and MAGAism alongside Fox News?
5: I'm very glad you are covering this. Uh, I have to tell you, Joy, I called a friend of mine at CNN before uh, the interview, the so-called town hall. It was not a town hall. This was a fabrication. Uh, that allowed uh, the former failed president, twice impeached, uh, now found civilly liable, uh, criminally indicted, a man who has lied to us. You know the old expression, lie to me once, shame on you, Mr. Trump. Lie to me tens of thousands of times, shame on us for taking it. Shame on you, CNN. I, I really respect so much of what CNN does and so many of their journalists, including Caitlin Collins, but I think that was a great mistake. You know what happened? This former president lied dangerously and deceived good Americans. And many of those good Americans still believe those lies. Shame on them for giving him that free platform. Shame on them for stacking that audience. When I tuned in, Joy, I I couldn't believe the reaction of the audience. I thought there would be some balance. Did they really advise the audience that they could not boo? First Amendment. Apparently so. Did they really advise that to allow this man to continue the cancerous, dangerous, anti-democratic lies from somebody who was in the gallery on January the 6th? I think that was a grave, grave mistake.
1: And I will note that they do have a uh, a member of their uh, paid contributor staff or paid contributor team who could have been a great person on a panel afterwards named uh, Michael Fanone, who was a metropolitan police officer at the time. I didn't see him uh, make air after that was over for him to get a question to Donald Trump or a comment afterwards. They could have put him on if they wanted some balance. They didn't do that either. Congresswoman Madeline Dean, thank you. Thank you so much. We all live
5: in silos.
1: Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you. Meanwhile, a Florida law enforcement official who retired after learning of Governor DeSantis's controversial plans to form an election police force joins me next. Stay with us.
0: If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is,
5: I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there.
0: Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.
1: Remember this scene of migrants getting off a plane in Martha's Vineyard flown from Texas to Massachusetts by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis? It's one of his most egregious examples of seizing power. But it's just one part of a massive expansion of the state police force, including the targeting of a prosecutor who said he wouldn't enforce the state's draconian abortion ban and arresting felons, mostly people of color, for voting. In 2018, to Republicans' dismay, Floridians voted yes on a ballot initiative allowing more than one million felons to vote. But that didn't include felons convicted of murder or sexual offenses, a caveat that not everyone was aware of. And yet DeSantis chose to arrest former felons for voting, even though many had no idea they'd done anything wrong and some had even been issued voter IDs by the state. Here's police bodycam video of some of the arrests that took place last August. Voter fraud? I voted, but I ain't
7: commit no fraud.
2: Well, so th- that's the thing. I, I don't know exactly what happened with it, but you you do have a warrant. That's what it's for. All right. Voter fraud. Let, let's walk why, over to my why car. Why is okay? y'all doing this now? And, and this happened years ago. I don't know. I, I have no idea, man. What is wrong with this state, man? What are you talking about? Voter fraud. uh, uh,
1: The Washington Post reports that out of those initial 20 arrests, six have been dismissed, five defendants have accepted plea deals, and only one case has gone to trial, resulting in a split verdict. The rest of the cases are pending. So with the five plea deals and one split verdict, that's six people out of the 11.1 million Floridians who voted in 2020, just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent. Joining me now is Lewis Sloan, a former Florida uh, Florida, Florida Department of Law Enforcement bureau chief who retired two years early due in part to the agency being forced to conduct those voter arrests. And Mr. Sloan, thank you so much for being here. I want to read what you told The Washington Post. You said um, that the televised footage of the arrests made you think about what your parents and grandparents had endured to vote, particularly your grandfather, who had been active in the NAACP. You're a registered Democrat, it said, but said that you have no problem working under Republican governors in the past. Talk a little bit about what prompted you. What was the trigger for your retiring retiring two years early?
2: Well, one of the things that They've always emphasized to us that the organization is the, the fundamental values, four fundamental values, service, integrity, respect, and quality. And one of the things when I saw that video of FDLE police arresting people for voting, supposed voting fraud, it hurt because that impacted the integrity of the agency. It was wrong. It was not right. And you can tell the officer, the agent himself, was embarrassed during the arrest. It hurt him. He could not explain it. When an officer arrests somebody, they know exactly why they arrested that individual. This officer was human and hard, and felt really bad. And it was an embarrassment to me to be a part of the agency that's doing this. And it made me think about my grandfather. You know, I voted. I saw him vote. It made me want to vote when I turned 18. I couldn't wait to get in my first election to vote. It was Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. I was excited about voting because my grandfather, you know, they give you that good history all along about voting. And it just brought all those thoughts back to me. What is my grandfather thinking? I'm part of an organization that goes out and creates and arrests people for voting when people don't get out and vote like they should
4: anyway. So that, Yeah, that my, my
1: mom's... For- my mom's first vote as an immigrant who got her citizenship was also Jimmy Carter. Um, so we, let me read what another piece of this Washington Post piece. This is Peter Washington. He was one of the people who was arrested for voting. And it says here, for Washington, the lesson of it all is clear. Voting is dangerous. He's telling others they should be wary of it, too, even if they don't have a criminal record. One of his adult children has already decided he won't be casting a ballot. A friend is doubting it, too. Washington said, I told him I wouldn't advise it because it's a trap. Do you think that that was the purpose of doing this, that Ron DeSantis wants to discourage particularly black people from voting, whether or not they have a a former felony arrest?
2: Exactly. They've been doing this for years, piece by piece by piece, creating new rules all the time about voting to discourage voting. They're not trying to keep stop voting altogether. All they got to do is shave off a few thousand votes and they can continue to stay in power. And that just... uh, it stings me to the utmost that a state officials with supermajorities are doing this. There's something that should be a fundamental right to everyone is to vote. And all my ancestors, I think about it all the time, the struggles they've had just for the right to vote. They fought in wars and couldn't vote. They sacrificed for this country and couldn't vote. I had an uncle die in Vietnam and... <laughs> Hadn't been that many years before he died with the vote. And it's, it's not right. Yes, they have the power in these legislatures to do it, but just because they create a law doesn't make, make it a just law. And they've yeah. been doing this. We call it what James Crow Esquire.
1: I thank you so much for being here, Lewis Sloan. I will note for our audience that four residents of the villages uh, voted twice in the 2020 election, and I did not see officers frog-marching them on camera off to jail um, because they voted the way that Ron DeSantis wanted them to. Um, thank you so much, Lewis Sloan. And coming up, the mainstreaming of right-wing nationalism. I'll be right back. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville, who's known for making outrageously ignorant statements, appeared to defend white nationalists in a recent interview by suggesting they should not be barred from serving in the military. Tuberville attempted to clarify his comments by saying the quiet part real, real loud.
2: What is a white nationalist? Someone
6: who propagates Nazism, someone who doesn't believe that black and brown you people think are white equal white You is a
2: white nationalist is a Nazi?
6: Well, that is You're one of their money, beliefs.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I don't look at it like that. I, How do you I, look at it? I look at a white nationalist as, a, as a, a Trump Republican. That's what we're called all the time, a mega person. That's what I'm— Do I you missed, agree that, that, with that well,
6: assumption?
2: Yeah, I agree that we should not be characterizing Trump supporters as white nationalists.
1: A white nationalist is a Trump Republican, you say, Senator? Speaking of Nazism, earlier this week, it was reported that the Trump National Doral Resort would host two anti-Semites who have promoted pro-Adolf Hitler propaganda. They would be sharing the stage alongside Trump personalities like Devin Nunes and neglected son Eric Trump. For Media Matters, Trump ally Alan Dershowitz relayed a message from Eric Trump on his podcast. Eric claiming he didn't even know these guys. It's funny, right, how MAGA folks just keep, like, accidentally hanging out with anti-Semites and neo-Nazis. They always just seem to be around. Alas, Eric also told Dershowitz that the Nazi speakers were disinvited. Plenty of QAnon conspiracy theorists, anti-vaxxers, and even a January 6th insurrectionist will, however, be featured. Join me now. This is Christina Greer, political scientist and host of the Blackest Questions podcast and anti-racism activist, Tim Wise. Um, thank you all for being here. Tim, I do want to start with you because you have a long history of dealing with people who launder white supremacy and white nationalism into khaki pants, uh, namely good old David Duke from the past. What do you make of the fact that that like is a thing now and that is really quite common with Tommy Tuberville doing it and Donald Trump hosting the Nazis at Doral?
0: I mean, it's fascinating and frightening. You know, 30 years ago, when many of us in Louisiana defeated David Duke in his runs for office, there were folks who thought, well, that, you know, that chapter is behind us. You know, even Ronald Reagan felt the need to come out and condemn David Duke and white nationalism. Now they just act like they never heard of David Duke. They have no idea who this guy is, they've never heard his name. They just pretend not to know him because ultimately, Dukeism. Although Duke was defeated, Dukeism was not defeated. And so now they can't even bring themselves to condemn white supremacy and white nationalism for fear as Tuberville basically acknowledged, that that represents such a significant portion of their base that were they to do so, it would hurt them politically. Think about that. If if Al-Qaeda or ISIS was actively saying, we are recruiting in your military, because that's what white supremacists admit. They admit they are doing it. They want these people to join their movement. If ISIS did that, You wouldn't sit there and say, well, I don't believe ISIS is really in the military. You would say, my God, we have to make sure ISIS is not in the military and they can't even bring themselves to do that. So it's very revealing that even though white supremacists in the form of people like David Duke can be defeated, white supremacy as an ideology is still very much an active force in our country.
1: Right. I mean, Christina, I mean, Tommy Tupperville, it's, it's quite a glaring admission, right, that in his mind, white nationalist just means MAGA and Trump supporters. That's interesting. But you also talk about a party that is led in some ways by Tucker Carlson who laundered white replacement theory, the great replacement theory, onto Fox News, and who's now about to do a deal with another person who repeatedly, with his retweet button, launders uh, white supremacy and wild conspiracy theories on Twitter. They're about to come together to do business for Trump to take his show to Twitter. So it does feel like Toby Tuberville is getting closer to right about what it means.
8: Yeah, absolutely. And as Tim laid out, I would add to what Tim is saying is that, you know, there are quite a few members of the the Republican Party who now would say, well, yeah, we do know David Duke. What's wrong with David Duke? Right. I mean, they're not going to deny that they, they have no idea who he is. They're just like, well, he has some good ideas. Like, I don't understand why we would distance ourselves from him. So what we're seeing now is a party where Donald Trump, in so many ways, has been kicking this termite's nest. And he has excavated some of the worst parts of this country. And it's, unfortunately happened to be encapsulated in a political party, one of the two dominant political parties. But what he's saying is that this white supremacist ideology, which is baked into the foundation of America, an American democratic republic, American democracy, whatever you want to call it. And so now as Donald Trump has sort of kicked this termite's nest, we're seeing the Tucker Carlson's, the Elon Musk's, the Tommy Tuberville's so many Republican members, not only actively supporting it, but in their passive voice saying, "Well, there's nothing we can do because these are members of our party." They're also encouraging this type of behavior that's sort of permeating all facets of our local, state, and national politics.
1: Well, let me read uh, Tim Wise what you wrote about Tucker. you wrote Tucker Carl. He wrote he's more like David Duke than you would think. His leaked message uh, messages echo the blatant white supremacy in America's most of most his of America's most infamous racist. Please explain.
0: Well, the reason I said that, you know, Tucker's leaked message, right, where he says that, you know, white men don't fight like those three MAGA guys that jumped the anti-fascist protester, meaning white people don't, uh, I guess, gang up on innocent people. They don't they don't sneak up behind you and attack you. Number one, of course, that's historically wrong. Uh, the men that, that, that murdered Emmett Till fought exactly that way. Uh, that's certainly what Bull Connor did. That's what all the white folks used to stand around lynched bodies. That's how they fought the whole history of white supremacy and the history of white men in this country is the history of fighting unfair and picking on innocent people who've done nothing to you. But more importantly, his comment echoed something that Duke said that I remembered from from 30 years ago in those campaigns. I remember an interview where Duke made a similar comment comparing whites with Jews. He thinks Jews, of course, are not white. That's what all Nazis think. And what he was saying was, you know, white men uh, are not like Jews. We have a different morality. If we want to steal your wallet, we're just going to steal it. We're not going to sneak up on you. In other words, this notion that like white men have some type of purity of arms and honor. That means that even if we do something we shouldn't do, we're going to do it with style and panache. You know, we're not going to do it like those those awful men did. And so I think that level of white supremacy, when you say white people aren't just different from other people, because we're all different from one another in certain ways, but we're actually better. We're superior. We have a, a superior morality. And the fact that Tucker said that In a private message, he didn't say that for public consumption. He'll do the gutter stuff, the the replacement theory stuff. He'll say immigrants make the country dirtier. But that was straight up national socialist thinking. And in that regard, he's not that far from David Duke. And he is the most prominent talk show host until recently in the country. And people talk about him as a political candidate. That's how far back this country is headed right now when it comes to race. And
1: Christina Greer, we, we, we having this conversation in the moment where you have Jordan Neely um, who was stuck up on and strangled to death?
8: Right. Uh, by someone who was in the military. Uh, and we'll find out more about his background as well. But, you know, this conversation where uh, we have a man who's been strangled and, and murdered on a train, and he's villainized. All of a sudden, we need to talk right. about, you know, his arrest record and, you know, his, his death. Uh, In his death, he's consistently villainized the same way we saw with Eric Garner and Mike Brown. And, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And so we'll see. You know, obviously, um, we have to wait for justice in the Manhattan District Attorney's
1: Office. But um, this is where we are as a nation. Indeed. Christina Greer and Tim Wise. Thank you both very much. We'll be right back. Sunday is Mother's Day, and the year 2023 has proven to be a particularly difficult time to be a mother in America. Not only is the U.S. one of only seven nations in the entire world without national paid maternity leave, a policy that Republicans have repeatedly blocked, but over the last couple of years, the maternal mortality rate in the U.S. has been rising dramatically, particularly among black women. Compared to other high-income countries, women in the U.S. are the most likely to die of preventable causes or pregnancy complications. And experts are warning that it will only get worse now that Roe has been overturned. In red states that have passed draconian abortion bans, we've heard countless horror stories. Women who are forced to carry non-viable fetuses to term or bleeding out in parking lots because they're miscarrying and facing near-death experiences and all the trauma that comes with it because they are legally unable to obtain medically necessary abortions. To say nothing of the little girls, Republicans want to force to become mothers after rape. But let's also not forget that America is one of the only countries where mothers, whether by birth or by marriage or adoption, because Republicans, all of those are moms, have to live with the fear that their state laws will be turned against their kids if they're gay or trans. And the constant fear that when they drop their kids off at school or at the movie theater or the mall or, God forbid, they ring the wrong doorbell, their child could be the next victim of gun violence. So Republicans, a thought for you this Sunday. Before you type out a social media post to honor the mothers in your life and in your state, a better gift than flowers or chocolates or breakfast in bed is action, like passing laws that will protect women or, at the very least, give them autonomy over their own bodies. And that is tonight's readout. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there.